First Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, and then chapter 18, verses 41 through 46, and then our text this morning, which is James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. In the passage in James, James refers to Elijah. Uh, in, in First Kings, we're reading about Elijah and Elijah's prayer. And so that's why the, the Old Testament scripture reading. So let us enter into the life of the prophet Elijah. First Kings chapter 17. Hear now the word of God. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or nor rain these years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Chapter 18, beginning in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud, as small as a man's hand, rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot, and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. In the New Testament, our text, James chapter 5, beginning verse 13. If anyone among you suffering, let him pray. If anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. 
The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you. We thank you once again that you have given us your word. And as Jesus taught, this word is like seed. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would plant this word in our hearts, that you would plow the ground so that the seed goes deep and is not choked out by the weeds of the world or the cares of this world. We pray, O Lord, for the work of your Spirit in our hearts, especially as this is one of the most precious blessings that we have your gift of your Son revealed through your word and the access we have to pray. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would teach us to pray. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Heidelberg Catechism, the third part of the Catechism describes ways of saying thank you to God. How do we say thank you to God for the redemption that Christ has accomplished for us, for his interceding for us right now? Do you know that Jesus is praying for you in heaven right now? He doesn't stop. He cares for you. Our prayers are only acceptable because he prays them. He he brings them to the Father. And he will come again. And the best way to say thank you is what? What's the best way to say thank you to God for what he's given to us, including, I I forgot to mention the Holy Spirit. What's the best way to say thank you? And the answer is, say thank you. Prayer. The Catechism says it this way. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because it is the chief part of thankfulness, which God requires of us. So the best way to say thank you is to do it, is to say thank you is to engage in conversation with the one who's given you all things in Christ. That's the best way that we can say thank you. He goes on to say in the Catechism, and because God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who earnestly and without ceasing ask them of him and render thanks unto him for them. Notice that. Does that describe you? Do you earnestly and without ceasing ask for God's grace? Is that a mark in your life? I'm a person that asks for help. Or am I a person, I can do this. I don't need anybody's help. I can do it. Is that the mark in your life? How would people describe you? A person that cries for help? Or a person that relies on himself, herself? And notice, renders thanks unto him for them, responds when God blesses. So we're focusing in on prayer. What I thought I would do before we launch into the sermon is, is I, uh, I'm going to read, I haven't done this in a long time, but I'm going to read to you my attempt at translating this in the original language because there's some things in it that I think, so follow along in your, t- in your Bibles, but I'm going to uh, add a few things. So verse 13. Is anyone among you patiently enduring hardship? Let him praise. Is anyone cheerful, that is, taking courage? Let him sing a hymn of praise. Is anyone among you 
weak. Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the weak or the worn out or the discouraged. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he sins, and if sins exist, having been done, he will be forgiven. Therefore, acknowledge the sins to one another and pray for one another in order that you may be healed and restored. The effective or powerful, fervent prayer of a righteous man prevails much. Elijah was a man like us in every way, and he prayed, he prayed, he prayed. Did that sound a little different? Was there some things that came through that was missing? The idea of weakness, fervent, powerful prayer? Name a challenge or a test in your life where prayer is not necessary. Is there anything that happens in your life where prayer, I can do this and I don't need to pray. Can you, can you name something? Or do you need to pray even when you got this? Is that what faith is about? Trusting the Lord. Pray without ceasing is the right call that Paul says. The main point of the of the messages there in the bulletin. God calls us to respond to the testings of our lives by turning to him in prayer. Uh, Christ provided this privilege of great personal cost, and he expects us to faithfully exercise this great privilege for the benefit of all mankind, for his glory and the benefit of all mankind. So we are coming to the conclusion of the letter here of James a letter of discipleship training. So if you were to wrap up this letter, if you were James, what would you end with? Well, he chooses to talk about prayer. He actually mentions prayer six times in these six verses. Is that important to him? Is it important to us? He began the letter talking about asking, about praying, and he ends the letter talking about asking and praying. Is that important? The answer is yes. So my first point is our response to the tests of, of, of life. We've mentioned in the past, when a test comes your way, the challenge is where's your eyes? Where do you look? When you get into an accident with your car, when you get into a fight with your spouse, conflict with your children, uh, employer, now, on and on. When the tests come in your life, where does your eyes go? Do they go outward first, inward first, or upward first? James is saying our first look when we are challenged is an upward look. We need to develop that. That's why prayer. Like I said before, the shortest prayer in the Bible is, Help, Lord. When we do that, we're looking upward. Lord, we're looking to God for help. And so that should be developed in us. Even when we're dealing with a conflict with another person, that's the first look. Then the second look should be inward. How have I contributed to this situation? And then the third is, how can I be restored with this person? And so how... Do you, do you look up? That's the call here in our text. If you were to focus on the whole book and 
kind of draw together all that James has been saying. Could, 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 would you agree with me that you could say that his focus has been on the tongue, on speech? Chapter 1. Chapter 2. Chapter 3. Chapter 4. Chapter 5. Yeah, it keeps coming back to that. How do you use your tongue? Why is that? Is he, is he just focusing on, is that his hobby horse? Is that is, or is it because it's important? Is it easier to sin with your tongue or to sin with your body? I think your tongue. And so James has been calling us to walk and follow Jesus. He is now focusing on the positive use of the tongue, using it to pray. In a sense, what James has been saying is, is that our needs are a test of faith. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Or is anybody among you patiently enduring hardship? Is that a need? If you're enduring hardship, do you have a need? Yes, I need the strength to keep enduring. I need to overcome, not be overcome. What about, is anyone cheerful? Or is anyone taking courage? Where God has encouraged you, enabled you, and you are rejoicing in the Lord. If anyone is overcome with weakness and sickness, he addresses all of these needs, and what does he give as the solution? Prayer, praise, calling for the elders of the church to pray, the church coming alongside. And what does he command us to do? To pray, to sing psalms, hymns of praise, to seek help from others, the elders and other members of the church. Do we do that? Do you do that? Oh, yeah, I pray. I sing at church. You sing outside of church, the praises of God. Oh, I can't share with anybody what I'm dealing with. I'll do it myself. This is his call in our response to the tests of life. Second point, what has God provided for our need. Again, one of the most amazing things, and I mentioned it earlier, is, is that we have access. Do you know that you can go to God? That you can go to him and say, Father, and he hears you? Do you understand how precious that is? How much did it cost Christ, his sufferings and death, in order to reconcile you to God, and so that you can boldly enter into the, was it the throne of grace to find mercy and obtain help in time of need? Was the last time you said, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins and making a way where I can approach and I can cry to the almighty creator and sustainer of all things and say, Abba, Father, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, help. We have access through Christ, his death, and his intercession. I like what John Calvin had to say. A couple quotes I found from him about this. Number one, he says, in the Old Testament, no prayers were acceptable to God but those which were joined with sacrifice. 
that they might always turn their minds to the mediator. Great statement. Whenever the Old Testament believer prayed, it was connected with sacrifice because it's connected with Jesus, the mediator, the intercessor, even in the Old Testament. Secondly, quoting on, John, uh, on Christ's intercession recorded in John 16, 27, Calvin said, the value of his sacrifice is always powerful and efficacious or effective. His blood is a continual intercession for us. We have the heart of the Heavenly Father as soon as we have placed before him the name of his Son. Isn't that a great statement? We have the heart of our Heavenly Father when we place before him in the name of Jesus, in the person and work of Jesus. It's through his intercession, his finished work, his ongoing work, that we have access with the Father. So God has provided all things in Christ. But yet he calls us to do something, and that is to exercise faith, to respond by believing. Is faith prayer and action? Is faith prayer and action? Is prayer just talking to yourself? Or is, is prayer talking to someone that you believe is there and can hear? By the act of praying, is it an exercise of your faith that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? And you pray, you're not praying to the ceiling, you're not praying to yourself, you're praying to someone, you're exercising faith. Faith in what? What makes your prayer effective? And the answer is God's promises. Can you pray God's promises back to God? Should you? What happens when you do? Is that the prayer of faith? Faith is not in your faith. Faith is in God's word, God's promises. When he says, ask, and I ask, is that an action of faith? I believe that he said it. I believe he will hear and do, and so I ask. William Gurnell said it this way. Prayer is nothing but the promise of God reversed, or God's word formed into an argument and retorted by faith upon God again. Did you catch that? Prayer is nothing more than taking what God said and turning it around and say, God, you said this. Please do it. Does God keep his promises? Is he faithful to his word? If he says it, will he do it? The answer is yes. And so the content of our prayers is what God has promised. This is that prayer of faith that James talks about here. Praying God's will, praying God's promises, his word, will he do what he said he will do? And the answer is yes, he will. Now, of course, no and wait are answers to prayer as well as yes. But notice in our text, not only individually we're called to pray, verse 13, or to sing psalms, but also God has given us the church. Is anyone among you sick or weak? Let him call for the elders of the church. 
Let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And as if he had committed sins, he will be forgiven. So God has given to us one another. Have you ever been in a situation where you just can't pray? I'm, I'm just overwhelmed. I can't, I can't even speak. I'm just numb. I, I just... I, I need, I, need, I need somebody. I need somebody to come alongside and pray for me. You ever been in that situation before where you're just overwhelmed? If you haven't, I'll, should I pray for you to have one of those? Like last week, the young man prayed for, asked for patience, and what did the old uh, believer say? Give him tribulation in the morning and the afternoon. And the, oh, wait, no, no, no. No. But, he, but have you been in that situation? You can't even seem to be able to pray, help, Lord, or you don't want to. You're just so depressed. No? Never had that? What do you do? Call for a brother or sister. Call for the elders. Call for the pastor. Ask for prayer. It's one of the reasons why we have these in the bulletin. These are calls for prayer. Prayer requests. Do you ever pray them? You t- when you t- does this end up in the trash can uh, today? Or, or do you put it someplace and actually turn and look at them sometime during the week and pray for these? That's why they're there. It's not so I can use ink and paper and waste it. It's for you to pray. We have assistance, not only from God, but by the grace of God, the others, our others those that suffer with us. As we, live, as we pass through this veil of tears. Thirdly, with privilege comes responsibility. Where, where? Yeah. Wasn't it with great privilege? Or, oh, with great power. Is that what it is? With great power comes great responsibility? Our responsibility. So what is God calling us to do? Can you tell me in one word? See if I've been, if I've been just talking for the past... 20 minutes and it just went right over your head or did you hear me? What, what is God asking us to do in one word? He said it six times in our text. If you were listening, what is it that God is calling us to do? Pray. Thank you. Pray. And sing. Notice that. If it is anyone among you suffering or struggling or weak, let him pray. If anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. So our, our responsibility is to pray and to sing. Both are faith in action. Now why does he bring in singing? And in particular, he says, why the psalms? The answer to that is from a, a little book I have at home on singing the psalms. And in it, the author writes, the singing of psalms became the reformed expression of their faith, the characteristic note distinguishing its worship from that of the Roman Catholic Church. The familiar use of psalms in worship only emphasized the power of their appeal to the individual experience and made psalmody as much a part of the daily life as public worship. The family in the home, men and women at their daily tasks, were recognized as Huguenots or Reformed because they were heard singing psalms. The Psalter became to them a manual of the spiritual life. 
It ingrained its own characteristics deep in the Huguenot character and had great part in making it what it was to the Huguenot called to fight and suffer for his principles. The habit of psalm singing was a providential preparation. The psalms were his confidence and strength in quiet and solitude, his refuge from oppression. In the wars of religion, they became the songs of the camp and of the march, the inspiration of the battle and the consolation in death. Whether on the field or at the martyr's stake, it is not possible to conceive of the history of the Reformation in France in such way that psalm singing should not have a great place in it. The author goes on, Thus a distinctive piety developed as a result of psalm singing, a strong, militant, and bold spirituality. Calvinism produced what Roland Banton called a race of heroes. And psalm singing had no small part in bringing this about. These are the songs of the church militant. When iron was in men's souls, and they needed it in their blood, they sang psalms. The psalms will stiffen a church accustomed to accommodation and compromise with the world. Isn't that powerful? Do you read the psalms? Do you sing the psalms? We sang the psalm today. We have a Psalter hymnal. Why is it called the Psalter hymnal? Because there are psalms, it's all 150 psalms in it, as well as hymns. Do these words only cross your lips here on Sunday morning? You know, you, they're sitting online. You can, it's sitting, I have an app in my phone, I can, and it actually plays the music, the tune. Do we have opportunity during the week to be able to sing the 150 as well as the other hymns? And the answer is yes. My challenge to you is do it. Our responsibility, pray and sing. Secondly, notice what he says, also call for the elders of the church. Make ourselves vulnerable. Is that hard to do? Well, I don't need to bother them. I can do this on my own. James says otherwise. On the other side, pray for others. We are called, all called to be priests. The priesthood of all believers was the cry of the Reformation, among other cries. You and I are called to pray for one another, to intercede for one another. I've heard, I've heard it been said by some, oh, I'm nothing special. Well, yeah, you are in Christ. You have access, and you're called to pray for one another. Consider Elisha. Was Elisha anything special? Well, from one perspective, he was the premier prophet in the Old Testament, apart from Moses. Who appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. But what does James say about Elijah? James uh, says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. It was just like us. Does the Bible record Elijah's lack of faith when Jezebel threatened him? He ran the other way and ran out into the desert, and he, he's all bemoaning himself, and I'm the only one, and she's trying to kill me, and I'm nothing special. Well, he says, consider Elijah. Thomas Watson said it this way, the angel that fetched Peter from prison, but it was the prayer 
that fetched the angel to fetch Peter from prison. We're called to pray. So again, in conclusion, what is the evidence of your faith? James says it should be that you're a man or a woman of prayer and a man or a woman who rejoices and sings God's praises when things are going right. May God apply this to our lives, we pray. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for the ability to do what we're doing right now, and that is to pray. Not only individually, but as the corporate people of God, the, the covenant people of God, the family of God. We thank you, Father, that you've adopted us into your family, and you call us by name, and you've called us through the gospel, and that we can call upon you. And so we do so. We pray that you would use this book as we're coming to an end of this book. Bring it back to our remembrance. Help us concerning the trials and testings in our lives that we would walk following Jesus in a way pleasing to you, uh, that you would continue to do that work of making us more like Jesus, uh, putting that family resemblance into our lives. Forgive us our sins, our lack of prayer, our lack of proper thankfulness to you, and enable us, O Lord, to have that, uh, be that fruit, that land that brings forth a hundredfold fruit. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.